Probably all of you are familiar with the comedian Tim Allen. He starred in all the Santa Claus movies. He was the voice of Buzz Lightyear on Toy Story, has played in other movies and things, but right now he is, I guess they're finishing up maybe the last season of Last Man Standing, or it just ended, but he's been on Last Man Standing as well. But Tim Allen's first real TV gig was the TV show Home Improvement, and Home Improvement is still pretty much syndicated and on every day on some cable channel as I'm flipping through the channels. He was Tim the Toolman Taylor and his buddy Al Borland, and uh, they had a big time together. But one of the times that I was watching, and it was been a few years ago, but I had to stop and, and back it back up because they were talking about going to church. And uh, one of their children in the, in the home improvement show was griping about going to church. And uh, Tim said, no, we're going to church and we're going to church as a family in which his wife says, well, you always sleep in church. To which then he begins his discourse to explain some great theology, not so much. He says this, if I'm in the building, the church building... I get credit. In the building, you get credits. If you sleep, you lose some. If you understand the sermon, you get extra credit. Then then listen to what he says. If you get enough credits, you bypass hell. And there are many that believe that today. Whether it be church attendance or doing good things or going through a religious ceremony or, or sharing in something, many people believe that, that getting to heaven deals with a credit system that says, if I can just do enough good, if I can get enough credits, go to church enough, give enough, serve enough, share enough, read my Bible enough, if I can just do all of these things, then I can make it to heaven. And that is exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches us. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Today we're going to pick up reading in verse number 6 and read down through verse number 10. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6. As you, have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality, and power. And with that, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, I ask that you would take these next few minutes, God, that we would be challenged, encouraged, enlightened, inspired, especially as we come into this Easter time of year and celebrate this week. Lord, may we be focused as we think about the person of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 
As Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, remember this is a church that he had never been to before, but as he writes this church, he wants to make sure that they have proper theology when it comes to the person of Jesus and the plan of salvation. He wants to make sure that they understand who Jesus is and that they understand that salvation is not a credit system. Matter of fact, back up just a couple of verses. In verse number four, he says, I'm saying this to you, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words or persuasive arguments. He wants them to make sure and understand that it's not just sounding good, but it's being theologically sound. And it's not about human philosophy and tradition. It is about trusting what you have learned in God's word. So Paul, as he looks at this church, he wants this church to come to a place where they receive Jesus, where they are rooted in Jesus, and where they rely on Jesus in their life. And I would tell you, as you walk through this week, our, our, the prayer is, is that if you don't know Jesus, that you would receive him, that you would be rooted in him, that you would not turn to the human philosophy and empty deceits uh, that the world throws at us today, and that you would rely on him in your life because he is absolutely sufficient, not only for your walk, through life, but for your journey into eternity. So the picture that Paul says as he writes this, he has just pointed out who Jesus is. Remember, Paul is writing and and saying, look, I I want you to understand who Jesus is. So in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 1, he says, remember, Jesus is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. And then down in verses 19 through 24, and that Jesus is the reconciler. He is the only one that can bring a sinful man into the presence of a holy God. He is the reconciler. So with the foundation of Jesus as creator, as sustainer and reconciler, Paul steps into this moment and says, look, now that you've received Jesus, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up, and rely on him because the fullness of God dwells in him. So let's look today at this passage as Paul shares with this church in Colossae, and and let's, let's gather together some of the challenges that that he presents to this church. First off, if, if we're going to walk in the way that is described here in Scripture, then we need to receive Jesus. We need to receive Jesus. Notice what he says in verse number 6. As you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, or you received him. Now, there's, there's this, this misunderstanding, again, of credit system here that says if I can just do enough good then I can earn my way to heaven. But here's the issue. Man's greatest problem is not the fact that he can do religious things. Man's greatest problem is sin. Man's greatest problem is sin. The Bible tells us and shows us in different passages that sin can be things that we do, things that we think, we say, we do that displease God, missing God's perfect mark, stepping over a line, crossing a barrier, disobeying what God instructs us to do, so that we all have this problem. And the reason that Jesus had to come was not to, to help us go to church more. Jesus did not come so that, that you could get baptized or take the Lord's Supper. Jesus came so that you could be forgiven of sin. 
It's kind of like back up in verse number 13 in chapter 1 where he tells us that we have been, been released or from the power of darkness and we have been brought into the kingdom of the son of his love as Paul shares in chapter 1. So we find in, in this passage that the picture is as sin can be like darkness in our life. And 1 John 1, 5 tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if God is light and in him is no darkness and our sin attached to our life is like darkness, how do we get rid of it? Well, for most people, it's like, you know, I mean... I'm just going to do enough good to outweigh my bad. I find it interesting in Isaiah chapter 6, as this Old Testament prophet Isaiah, living a righteous and holy life and preaching God's word to others, he comes face to face with the Lord. He gets this vision of who Jesus is, and he sees the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. And in Isaiah 6, 5, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Even the holy prophet of the Old Testament, when he saw the light and holiness of God, would shudder and say, "Uh uh-uh, this is not a place where I belong. Uh Uh-uh, I'm backing up here. I'm unclean, and I'm seeing him in his beauty and in his glory. Now, if that's an Old Testament prophet, what about you? I don't know about you, but I mean, sin is a struggle every day. Losing my patience, saying something just quick and sharp. There are many things. Some of you are struggling with different areas of sin in your life today. That's our greatest problem. But God presented a solution, and God's only solution is Jesus. As you have therefore received, received Jesus. You received Jesus Christ the Lord. It's not a matter of me doing, it's a matter of me receiving. God's solution is that I have to receive Jesus. In other words, that I take him by faith. Notice back up in chapter 1 and verse number 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1, verse 14. So we see that there's only one way to have the forgiveness of sins. It's in Jesus. It's not in me getting credits. It's not in me doing good things. This week, as we look at Good Friday, we recognize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment or take the penalty for our sin. And he rose again. He took the penalty for our sin. And now today, we have to come to the cross and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I need to put my sin there. And when we trust what he did for us on the cross and recognizing that Easter we celebrate that he is alive. We're not coming next Sunday to celebrate somebody who died. We're celebrating that Jesus lives. So the picture is, is that he died. So God's solution is Jesus. It's not in philosophy and not in tradition and not in church attendance and not in giving, not in going. It's not in doing. It's in receiving. There are many times when I try to explain the plan of salvation to a boy or a girl, and I'll have something in my hand, and I'll say, if I was just going to give you this as a gift, what do you have to do? And they say, well, I just have to take it, receive it. I said, that's right. You have to put your hand out by faith and say, look, he's offering this to me, 
and I'm going to take it. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And today he says, all you have to do is receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. That means recognizing I'm sinful. That means turning from that and turning to him and saying, Jesus, I want you to forgive me and I want you to work in my life. And Lord, I want Jesus Christ to be Lord over me. It's receiving Jesus. Then he says this, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we not only receive Jesus, but then we we have this next step. Receiving Jesus is by faith, but then we walk in Jesus. That means that we're walking in this relationship with Jesus. See, the difference between religion and and Christianity is is that, that Christianity involves a relationship in which Jesus walks with us and we have a real live relationship. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of requirements. It's a relationship. And so now I have the privilege of, by faith, walking in Jesus and walking with Jesus in my life. So he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. And then he shows us four ways how we're to do this. First off, he steps into the world of agriculture, and he says that we are to be rooted in Jesus. He says, be rooted, rooted. That's an agricultural term that, that pictures a tree that, that sends its roots down deep and can glean from the water. Last night, I don't know if you noticed, there was a little bit of wind blowing. And, and as the wind's blowing, you've got to make sure that the tree is rooted so that when the wind blows, there's stability there. There's a sense of steadfastness there. There's a firmness there. So when I'm rooted in Jesus and I'm walking with him, what I'm doing is I'm saying, look, I, I want to learn more about him. I want to grow deeper in him. I want my spiritual roots to grow deeper so that when the challenges of life or when the culture around me begins to blow and get fierce, I can still trust in him and know that I am secure in him. If you know anything about the introduction to the book of Psalms, Psalm number one gives this awesome and wonderful picture. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he has shown three different positions. We're walking, standing, sitting, and he is getting, getting worse with those who, who, who are persuasive and ungodly as they pull on us. He says, blessed are you if you don't do that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord in which he meditates day and night. And then he says this, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. What a picture of how we as believers are to live. We're to be rooted so that when when the challenges of life come, we can still bring forth fruit. We can still not wither and die. We can still experience a spiritual sense of knowing him and walking with him. He says rooted in Jesus. But notice what he says. He says that we are to be rooted and built up up in Christ. 
built up. Now he's moved from agriculture to construction. And now he gives the picture of, of one who lays their foundation. And, and the real picture of this is that we're being builded up. It's not just one time it's being built. The picture is, is that this is, this is continually uh, being builded so that my life is being builded upon the truth. I have a firm foundation. I have received Jesus. And now I just continue to rely on that foundation. And God continues to teach and God continues to work. And through experiences and through his knowledge and through prayer and through his working in my life, I continue to be builded. I love what Paul said to the church in Ephesus as he was leaving in Acts twenty thirty two. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Paul says, do you want to be built up today? It's the word that builds you up. I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, not the bunch of rules and requirements, but to the word of grace. And that word is able to build you up and encourage you and inspire you and press you forward so that you'll keep moving in the faith. That's the picture we're being built in. Jesus gave an illustration of this as he closed the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He gives a picture of, of, of two different uh, households and they built their houses in two different ways. He, he says that, that everyone who, who hears his word and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rains come, and the floods swell, and the winds blow, but the house on the rock remains steady and sure. And then he turns and says, but there are some who hear my word and they don't do it. And they are like ones who build their house on the sand. And when the sand experiences that same kind of storm with rains and floods and winds, it crashes and they lose it all. Can I ask you today, what kind of foundation are you building on? Have you received Jesus? Are you walking in him? Rooted like a tree? Strong foundation and continually being builded? That's the picture. Then thirdly, he says that we're to be established in the faith established. That word, again, pictures this sense of, of steadfastness, of stability and security in the faith. Can I tell you today that the winds of culture are blowing, and culture is changing around us. And for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior and has re- have received him as Lord, you need to be rooted Grounded, established. Because if you're not, you're not going to be able to face the fierce winds of culture. Last week I shared with you how surprises happen in life. And I talked about Oral Roberts University, you know, knocking off uh, a couple of teams and making it to the Sweet 16. And I watched the end of the game last night, and they were one shot away, probably about two inches away from moving to the Elite Eight quite a game, but what a testimony. But did you, did you happen to notice in USA Today on Tuesday, any of you? USA Today on Tuesday ran an opinion article that said that Oral Roberts University is not the Cinderella story that we should be celebrating. Instead, the author went on of this article went on to say that, that Oral Roberts University is 
archaic in its morality and its ideology. Matter of fact, let me just read a couple of things. Oral Roberts, with its decrees banning homosexual, homosexual conduct, stating that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and specifically banning male students from wearing makeup, earned a ticket to the big dance, even though the university's foundations uh, exp- are expressly go against the very things the NCAA says they value. The fact is, any and all anti-LGBTQ plus language and any school's policies should ban them from NCAA competition. Now listen to what they're saying. They're saying if you have biblical morality and you stand for the Bible, you should be canceled in culture. Your team shouldn't be allowed to play in the NCAA. And listen, this is just one person sharing this, but we're going to begin to to experience this tsunami of of cultural voices that are going to come and say the same thing. And listen, they're, they're after Oral Roberts right now. They'll be after Missouri Baptist and Hannibal LaGrange and Southwest Baptist University next. They'll be after our Christian entities like the Missouri Baptist Children's Home next. So, so that this groundswell and this tsunami of culture that is coming. Now listen to, to one of the last things they wrote. Whatever the Oral Roberts men's basketball team manages to do on the court can't obscure the dangerous and hateful ideology of its core institution. Now, being a believer and believing that the Bible is true, that homosexuality is out of bounds along with any sort of premarital or extramarital sex, that that marriage is between one man and one woman, now has become hateful ideology. Understand, there's a cultural tsunami that is coming around us. Now, we can choose to hate the world or we can choose to try to make a difference in it and let's shine our lights and seek to make a difference in it and not just throw, throw our hands up and curse them. But I want to tell you, they're looking at us now as the enemy. And they're saying, these folks with their, their bigoted, archaic, biblical views are filled with hate. And yet, They need to see we're people who recognize that every man and woman is created in the image of God and that we are called because God so loved the world. But listen, as you go, remember, there are going to be those who strike out and lash out against you. Which brings us to this next thought in this passage that we're to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. And then notice what it says, that we are to be abounding in it with thanksgiving or overflowing with thanksgiving. You say, buddy, man, the culture is after us. And now we're to be people who are thankful. We're to overflow with this sense of thankfulness. So I was working on our podcast this week and, and on Friday, and I was going through Acts chapter 5 and, and uh, reading and writing notes. And at the end of, of Acts chapter 5, you find that, 
the apostles have been arrested in Acts 4 and then toward the middle of Acts chapter 5. It's a lovely story in Acts chapter 5 as Peter and John are arrested and then an angel comes, opens the doors and, and they slide out and the, back, the next morning they're back in the temple preaching again and nobody can figure out. The guards were standing there and they can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. So they take him and incarcerate him again. And as they incarcerate him again, uh, Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, if, this is, if God's in this, well, we can't fight against it and kind of go on and we don't know what we're supposed to do. So they beat them, warned them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, and they let him go. And it says in Acts 5, 40 through 42, that they went away rejoicing because they felt themselves that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. What a picture and what a challenge. It reminds me of Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are in prison and at midnight they're singing. That's the picture. We're to walk in Jesus. Don't be a grumpy believer. Don't. I, I, th- there's a lot of things that, to be grumpy about and, and crabby about in our culture. I understand that. There's a lot of things in your political realm that that aren't going the way that you want it to and in your financial realm that aren't going the way that you want it to. And can I just tell you, even to feed yourself 24-7 on news is not healthy for your spiritual life and it's not good for your mental being. It's just not. Read Philippians 4.8. Think on those kinds of things. So I want to just challenge you that if you have received Christ, have a spring in your step. Walk with a sense of thanksgiving. Overflow, be grateful. And be grateful to God for the opportunity that you have to live for him, even in this dark world. We're to receive Jesus. We're to walk in Jesus. Thirdly, as we look at this passage, we're to rely on Jesus. Notice what he says as as he tells them to to overflow and abound with thanksgiving. He then says in verse number nine, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All right, I, I, I love that. And then he goes on to say, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So the picture is, is that we rely on Jesus. But we recognize, we skipped a verse in verse number eight. Because after telling us to be thankful, he gives us a beware. Beware. And that picture of beware is real. That we have to beware false philosophy. Beware lest anyone cheat you. The word there is is kind of a a picture of, of a pirate coming in to plunder. Make sure that someone doesn't come in and plunder and steal uh, the, the truth and the blessing of who Jesus is from you. Now, in my sick sense of humor, I have to admit, I, I go to pirate on this one because uh, my wife, and, and I don't say this funny, but, it, but we've tried to make, well, I've tried to make light of it, but it's at her expense, okay? So, so just forgive me beginning. My wife broke her toe, and uh, so over the last couple of weeks, she's had to wear a boot. So she'll wear a tennis shoe on, on her right foot, and she'll wear her boot on her left foot. Now, our church is pretty well carpeted, or if you walk in the gym, it's got that soft floor. So you don't get to hear what I get to hear. But when she's walking across the tile in our house, there's the sound of a, 
of, of a soft step and then a clunk. Soft step, clunk. Soft step, clunk. So I've been teasing her and talking piratey to her because she sounds like a pirate with a wooden leg. So anyway, uh, the, the, the picture is, is clunk, clunk. I said, you sound, argh, come on in here, lady. So anyway, so, so the picture is here is, is he says, beware lest anyone cheat you or, or plunder or steal the truth of who Jesus is from you and that you get caught up in false philosophies that are filled with the sense of empty deceit. Beware lest you, you come to this place where those who love philosophy, and the word philosophy comes from two words, the word phileo, which means love, and the word sophos or sophia, which means wisdom. They love wisdom. But here the picture is, is that they love a picture of wisdom that's based on a, on a human level. It's, it's based only on what we see on, on the earth. It's, it's kind of like the book of Ecclesiastes when, when Solomon looks around and he says, tries to make sense of, of things just on on a horizontal plane, and he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's meaningless. Life doesn't make sense. And when you look at the philosophies of the world, and and you think, no God figured into this, it doesn't make sense. So he says, beware lest anyone cheat you, or take you captive, or plunder you through philosophy, false philosophy, with this sense of, of empty deceit. Be careful. And then he goes on to talk about the sense of, of tradition that comes into play as well. Notice what he says in verse number, uh, verse num- number eight. He says, and, and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. These are the ways of man just passed down according to the basic principles of the world. If you look down to Colossians chapter two and verse number 22, as we think about these principles of the word, world. These are the commands and doctrines of man alone. Be careful that you don't get just swept up in this world. And what are some of the philosophies of, of, our, of our day today? Look, I mean, just let everybody, let, let, let everybody believe what they want, do what they want, and don't ever rock the boat. I'm okay, you're okay. If it feels good, do it. It's that kind of sense. And he's saying, look, don't get caught up in this, this worldly stuff. Instead, you are established, you're rooted, you're built up here. So you have something to stand on. Recognize this, everyone has an authority in life. I tell this to my boys from time to time. Everyone has an authority in life. As a believer, I would trust that your authority is based on the principles that we see in God's word. This is the authority in our life, the truth of who God is and how he has revealed himself in scripture. But there are many today that think that culture is their authority or what mama said is their authority or the traditions of the past are their authority. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, there are people that are coming to say, ah, you don't have to worry about Jesus or take a little Jesus in this and, and add this to it. And, and you don't have to get so on fire because of this. Instead, let me just tell you my thought, how I feel about God, what I have been taught, what, what, what makes sense to me. That's the picture. And our world is full of a bunch of people who feel and think of what God means to them and what uh, uh, morality and culture should look like. And the picture is, is, for us as believers, we need to beware. But not only do we beware of this sense of false philosophy, but then we embrace 
we embrace Christ's sufficiency. Notice what he says in verse number nine. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus, he is perfectly and completely filled with the divine nature of God, and he is God. That's the picture. He is God in bodily form. And then he turns to the believers and says, and if you have him, you're complete in him. You're complete in your salvation. You don't have to add anything to it. Jesus is enough. You're complete in him. You don't have to do anything to try to achieve righteous status. Through Christ, when he died on the cross, he not only took our sin away for those who have believed, but he also with that has imputed his righteousness in our life. So God sees us with the righteousness of Jesus when it comes to looking at us in a judicial manner of salvation. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. And then he says, and you, you have all you need. This is what Peter told us in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. That you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have what you need. You're sufficient in Jesus. Now, as you walk through life, you're going to continue just to, to walk in this sense of, of sufficiency of Jesus. When I fail and I fall, I go back to the cross and I revisit the sufficiency of Jesus to forgive. When I, when, when, when I struggle, I go back and I, I recognize that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. I stand not in my strength, but in his. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And once you come to know him and Jesus lives in your life through the Holy Spirit, you have all, all, all the fullness and that completeness of God in you. Now, we have to allow him to control. We have to yield our lives. We have to submit to him. But can I tell you, you're not going to get any more than you got because you're already complete. So I want to challenge you today. If you've not received Jesus as Lord, would you receive him today? If you're not walking in him, maybe you, you, you've fallen off course along the way. Can I tell you, God loves you. He's, he's not in, in heaven, uh, you know, with a heavenly paddle just waiting for you to step over a line so he can beat you. Instead, he has open, loving arms, and he says, come, walk in him, and then rely on him as you face the pressures of life, relationships, finances, culture. Listen, you can give them all to him, knowing, knowing, that he will see you through. You're in his hand. Nothing, no one, no circumstance can take you out. Rely on Jesus.